Hello and welcome to the Behaviorist Book Club. You're listening to episode two, where we're going to deep dive into determinism, something that was briefly covered in our last section of science and human behavior. I wanted to give it its own episode to kind of give it some of the respect that it deserves. This is by no means an exhaustive determinism discussion. Rather, I just want to quickly define it talk about it a little bit, and then go into a kind of cool thought-provoking question and encourage everyone who listens to this episode to think more about, okay, I'm a determinist, that means this. Let's start with some definitions. I want to say that I'm going off of the John Johnston book, Radical Behaviorism for the ABA Practitioner again. He does an entire, obviously, book on radical behaviorism. And I'm specifically looking at his first chapter, which talks about determinism. Free will, let's define it. Choices are not solely caused by environmental or hereditary factors, but are free of such influences. Determinism. Behavior is determined by hereditary or environmental factors. We can talk about that a little bit. Free will is much like it sounds. The choices that we make are exactly that, choices that we make, choices that I make without influence of others. If I order a cheeseburger from McDonald's, it is because I decided that I wanted a cheeseburger at that moment. It's not because for the last 15 years I've been getting a cheeseburger whenever I see those beautiful golden arches. Determinism, the opposite. Behaviors determined by environmental factors. My learning history of getting 15 years worth of cheeseburgers is a thing that ultimately determined my decision when I walked up to McDonald's. Something interesting about this philosophical argument, both sides are impossible to prove. Free will and determinism are, it's, it's more of intellectual calisthenics trying to argue them than actual, than actual scientific evidence because to prove free will, would require us to be aware of every single variable that's ever influencing a situation, to know the effect of the variables, and then to still see a behavior that does not match what the variables predicted. And determinism would be the opposite, require the same knowledge and then watch the behavior do what the variables predicted in every single circumstance. And of course, because human behavior is so complex and the environment we live in is so radically different from one second to another, there's never an instance where we will actually be able to be aware of every variable, not only to be aware of the variables, but also to know what those variables mean. As we know, those variables are specific to each human individually. For example, something that may be reinforcing for me is not going to be reinforcing for my wife. So in the face of an unprovable argument, How do we proceed? Well, as scientists and clinicians, I think it's our job and our goal to continue learning and to advance the field as well as helping the clients we serve. So if we can't prove something, let's look at the the assumptions that we can make and where those assumptions lead us, keeping in mind that our ultimate goal is to help people. If we assume free will, we're admitting that a behavior that occurs during an intervention that we create could be the effect of the intervention or the effect of an uncontrollable factor. If it is the result of the intervention, then we're golden. If it's the result of an uncontrollable factor, then what as clinicians can we do in response? By definition, the uncontrollable factor 
free will means that we can do nothing in response. Now, if we assume determinism, we are admitting that every behavior that occurs during the intervention is a result of the external environment or the internal hereditary genetic factors. When a behavior occurs, we can change the environment to manipulate the probability of that behavior occurring in the future. You can see by that small example that we have infinitely more power if we assume determinism. When we have a child who's engaging in self-injurious behavior, we have them in a controlled environment and we have an intervention that is designed to promote appropriate behavior while extinguishing inappropriate self-injury. We see self-injury and we have two options. We can assume that the self-injury is a result of free will and that we have no response to it other than to make the child more comfortable and hope that he chooses what we want him to choose. Or we can look at the environment again and see what we missed. If we assume determinism, it means that there's an unseen variable that is influencing the behavior to prompt self-injurious behavior to occur rather than the client or the patient simply behaving because he chooses to suit because they choose to do so for that reason determinism is a much more helpful and successful assumption to have because it puts the power of changing behavior which is our job back into our hands what determinism doesn't mean however is that every behavior that we see is going to be able to be changed right now by the interventionist. As we talked about in the last episode, there's always going to be things that are outside of the control of the person implementing the intervention, such as lack of breakfast, lack of sleep, um, parents got into a car accident, a host of other variables that are seen, and then a host of other variables that can't be seen, such as a bipolar disorder, a mood disorder, anything of that sort. However, that's not a weakness of determinism, but rather a weakness of our observation of variables. And as a science, that's something that we're continually getting better at with the advance of technology, such as brain scans and neuroscans, but also just in general becoming better observers and watchers of the field, or better observers and watchers of the clients we serve. So kind of to the, the fun part of the episode, a question for you guys. A question that should make you a little squeamish, at least it did when I first encountered it. Following the logic of determinism, does that mean that criminals are not responsible for their actions? And therefore, they should walk free. After all, it's not their fault that they robbed the bank. Society made them that way, rather the environment made them that way. And part of their environment, are we not the guilty ones in this scenario? A lofty accusation, but one that's leveled many times against people who are against determinism. And at first glance, this holds solid merit. The answer to this question is scientifically, yes. By this, I mean that a criminal or any other organism does not have free will to act on the environment. The environment around it is the thing that determines its behavior. However, the consequences that have been set in place by society are still actions that follow a behavior. While a criminal is not responsible, quote unquote, for their actions in the way that they had the free will to choose yes or no 
they are responsible for living with the consequences of their actions. So consequences are things that are set by society that always follow a behavior. Therefore, when a behavior occurs, the consequence must follow due to it being exactly that, a consequence. The consequences of people's behaviors are the things that keep most of society in line due to our general adherence to rule-governed behavior. For example, I'm not going to go out and rob a bank because I know that it will put me in jail. I'm not going to go out and steal ice cream from the 7-Eleven because I know that I might not be allowed back in that 7-Eleven. Those are consequences, and while I'm saying that I might not choose to do that, in reality the consequences are deterring me due to the consequences being part of my environment. <clears throat> so, for an example, a man steals an emerald. He is then caught and put in jail. Determinism, te de determinism tells us that his behavior was a product of environmental factors and not free will. However, he's still responsible for the consequences of his actions, specifically going to jail, because the consequences put in place by society must be maintained. And they must be maintained because the rest of society depends on those consequences to keep the general agreed upon appropriate behavior in that general agreed upon lane. Honestly, I had a lot of other topics to talk about in this episode and I went through and I went through a lot of different notes reading through the radical behaviorism book and kind of really getting into it but I thought it would be wise to stick to this topic because it somewhat gets quite messy. I kind of like these episodes because it's not as much about learning and remembering but more about thinking and I think thinking is absolutely an integral part of learning more and more about our field and becoming a better general practitioner. I've said it prior and I will definitely say it again. Understanding the building blocks of our fields and the essential assumptions helps increase general knowledge of behavior analysis. The core assumptions such as determinism are worth being studied because while you may never deal with a criminal in a clinical practice, I can almost guarantee you that you'll be asked to explain to a parent why you have the authority and the skill to change behavior that parents have been struggling with for years. So that's my short little episode. I thought it'd be fun to try and keep putting out contact, content every week. I'm going to start grad school in about three days again. I'm going to be starting my second semester. So we'll see how we do with this podcast schedule. Hopefully we'll be able to keep it up and running. I really think the more people join, the more motivated I will be. So head on over to the Behaviorist Book Club on Facebook and join the conversation about it and continue posting and reading along with me. Next week, we're gonna be covering the next two chapters in Science and Human Behavior, and we'll keep going from there. So that's me signing off. Have a great day.